1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 23. I'm simply going to read the whole passage this week and next week as we do this in two parts. Let's start there in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it is burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple, and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. As it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the thoughts of the wise are futile. So then, no more boasting about human leaders. All things are yours whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. Paul begins and ends this chapter with a reference to Cephas or Peter, Apollos and himself. And he's echoing what he stated in chapter 1 regarding the divisions among the believers as they identified themselves as followers of Peter or Apollos or Paul. And when we studied chapter 1, we saw that it wasn't that Peter or Apollos or Paul were teaching false doctrines or deliberately misleading the people or causing divisions. It was that the people were justifying their own positions by claiming the endorsement of the apostles. Oh, I, I believe this, and it must be right because I belong to Paul. 
or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Peter, or so on, right? And now, how can we be sure that that's the case, that Paul was not saying that, you know, they were spreading false doctrines, but that the people were sort of appropriating them incorrectly? Well, how can we be sure of that, that Peter and Apollos were not spreading lies? Because here in chapter 3, Paul describes Apollos as a co-worker who watered the seed that Paul sowed. He wasn't coming and pulling out the seed or the, you know, trying to get rid of what Paul had done. He was watering what the seed that Paul had sowed. And then he says, and Apollos wasn't working against Paul or the gospel. Apollos was reinforcing the gospel message, the seed of the word of God. And God was causing that seed to grow by the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. In arguing, taking sides, and causing divisions, the believers were not being spiritual, meaning they were not living by the Spirit. Instead, they were being worldly or carnal. They were living by the flesh. They were behaving like everyone else who did not have the Holy Spirit and the mind of Christ. They were behaving according to their own thinking not according to the mind of Christ. Now, Paul uses three different metaphors in this chapter to make his point. Right? Just like Jesus did when he told parables, stories, to make his points, to paint a picture using everyday activities that were readily understood by the people, Paul is using a similar kind of metaphor. And so he begins this chapter with a metaphor of the believers as infants who are unable to consume solid food. And the moment he says that, everybody understands it. Everybody gets it because they see it. They understand that, that, that truth, right? He describes the work of the gospel with the metaphor of sowing, watering, and growing seed. And so he uses that metaphor and everybody gets it, right? Then in verse 10... Paul switches from the agricultural metaphor to an architectural metaphor. He speaks of believers as a building, gospel workers as builders, and the Lord himself building up the church. So he's shifted to a different metaphor now. And even though the physical building methods and materials have changed from Bible times to our times, we can easily relate to Paul's descriptions and through those descriptions, we learn four vitally important truths about this spiritual building process, how the Holy Spirit is involved in building, right, in this analogy, this metaphor. And so those four truths, three of which we will cover this morning, one we will sp spend a little bit more time on next week. The four truths are these. You must have the right foundation. In order to build correctly, you must have the right foundation. Two, you must have the right builders. Three, you must have the right materials. And four, you must have the right purpose. Now, typically, and, and when you're thinking of building a building, you need to have that purpose known before you start the building. You can't start building, right, thinking that you're building an office building and then needed to be a stadium, right? You can't build a, start building a stadium and then say this is a home, a residential home. The purpose for which it is intended has to be known. 
but we'll cover that and we'll talk more about that next week. This week, first and foremost, I want to go through these points here, the first three truths, which the first one is, you must have the right foundation. Seems kind of obvious, but in verse 11, Paul writes, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. When he says, I'm laying a foundation, he's not saying I'm doing something different. He's saying, I'm reinforcing, I'm pointing out, I am relying on the foundation that is already laid, which is Jesus Christ. And on that foundation, here's what I'm doing. Right? He's paying attention to that. Jesus Christ was the rock that Isaiah and the Psalms were describing. The rock that was present in the wilderness. The Bible says that the rock accompanied them and the rock was Christ. It's a mystery in terms of how we should understand that, but the Bible describes that rock as having been there. The rock was present in the wilderness with the children of Israel, and the rock was prophesied to come. The rock will be what is going to give that stability. In Matthew chapter 7 and Luke chapter 6, Jesus was the rock. He's speaking about the foolish man and the wise man. And Jesus is the rock on which the wise, those who know God, were to build their house so that when the storms of life were raging, their house would stand. And then Jesus tells Peter that it is on the rock himself, Jesus himself, it is on that Petra that Jesus himself would build the church, the universal church, the entire body of Christ in the world around us. So Jesus is the foundation for everything that is built in the Spirit. If it is the work of the Holy Spirit, it has to be on the foundation of Jesus. Nothing else. Nothing less. Right? So it is because that Jesus is the foundation that for Paul, it was all about Christ and him crucified. He didn't, he didn't come with eloquence. He didn't come with his wisdom. He doesn't come with his own thinking. He says it is because of Christ. It's because Jesus is the foundation that it's all about Christ and him crucified. There is no other greater truth. There is no, nothing else that he can point to. No other method to lay a foundation. No set of laws to ensure good behavior so as to build a holy life. No perfect group of people to band together with so that we can create an organization, a denomination, an institution by which to build. We're going to plant churches. We're going to do these things. We're going to, we can't do that because we are an organization. We have to be reliant on Jesus being the foundation. No individual or collective good works to merit salvation apart from Christ. It was always, it was always the message of the gospel that the Lord Jesus came into the world as a man to die for the sins of all humanity and because of that perfect sacrifice, human beings would not have to be eternally separated from God but could believe in what Jesus had done and be saved. It is because of that message. It is because of that gospel message, that simple message, that Paul relies on that as the foundation for building anything else. Right? Now, even as you picture that rock-solid foundation of Christ, in Ephesians 2, Paul refers to Jesus not only as the foundation, but also as the chief cornerstone. He says that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. 
It starts to align and to give stability for the whole building. In First Peter chapter 2, Peter similarly refers to Jesus not only as the rock and the living stone of the building, but also as the cornerstone. Jesus is the means. He is the one that defines and is the only means by which the underlying strength of the structure and the stability of the structure as it's going up is all possible. Jesus is the one who makes that possible. right? Which means that for every spiritual activity of any kind, we must continually ask the question, are we keeping Christ as the primary focus of this activity? Is Christ and him crucified the foundation of and the ongoing strength of what we're saying and doing? Is this based on Christ or is this just to promote ourselves? Is this based on Christ or is it just a great idea that we've had? Is Christ the foundation of what we're doing? That has to be the constant refrain. So I'm not spending a lot of time on this point itself, but... I want to keep emphasizing this, and this is why we're emphasizing this in you know, all that Paul is doing through these first three chapters of 1 Corinthians, and you'll continue to see this. He's emphasizing Christ on the cross, Christ on the cross, because of Christ and because of what he did on the cross. This is why it gives us meaning. right? So we have to keep looking at all these truths and the building and the construction of the church in light of Christ on the cross. But I want to you know, just conclude this point by saying this and encouraging you that at the beginning of every day and all through the day, you would keep reaffirming these truths. And you can do that quite heartily, quite with all your strength to sing this wonderful hymn that Edward Mote wrote in 1834. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. His oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. Oh, get up every morning and sing that. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. I know a whole, whole number of you want to burst out into song right now. Maybe at the end here. Let's move to the second truth. You have to have the right foundation. You must have the right foundation but on that foundation, you must have the right builders. Paul says that he's building local churches like the one in Corinth on the foundation of Christ as a wise or expert builder. That's how he defines himself. He says, I'm the wise or expert builder. He's not being presumptuous or arrogant. What he's pointing out is that there is a level of skill and experience that Paul has gained that he is now using to lay down truth upon truth and precept upon precept so that the believers can mature from faith to faith and strength to strength. 
there's something very intentional about this building process. And this exercise in spiritual building, this exercise in it so as to become a master builder, so as to become an experienced builder, so as to become an expert builder, that comes from spending time in the word of God, that comes from spending time in prayer, that comes from having a growing relationship with the master builder, Jesus, the one who builds the church as a whole. When Jesus said, I'm the one building the church, Paul is not saying, oh, then, okay, you take care of that, I'll take care of this. He's saying, yes, Jesus, you're still the one that's building the church. I want to sit with you. I want to learn from you. I want to know from you what I need to do, what I need to say. The apostles at first, and then every builder through the ages, is essentially apprenticing with Jesus to learn how to build. They're watching Jesus. They're sitting with Jesus. They're listening to Jesus. They're hearing Jesus say, oh, no, 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 not that, you know. Don't hit it like that. Don't you know, hit it at this, this way. Don't use that tool. Use this tool. Don't scrape it like that. Do it like this. Because they have had, because Jesus knows what exactly needs to be done. And so they're able to instruct. So, or rather, the Lord is able to instruct. So the builders are building their expertise based on having that apprenticeship from Jesus. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 16 tells us that Jesus gives these builders, gives the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, or infants who can't consume solid food, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This is the image. We've talked about this before. We've read these same scriptures, but I want to keep bringing them up to you to, so that you will know the building process and the builders that are involved. This is the model. This is the analogy. This is the truth that the Lord is trying to get to us. Now, as Jesus commissions his laborers, his builders, there's a recognition of calling, of capability, of accountability, and of empowering that that person has as a builder. We have to discern who God's builders are and evaluate what they're saying and doing according to the word of God. It's not at all, even as we talked about it in the past, it's not at all to accept anyone who would say, I'm a builder, and just simply receive that, but to evaluate what they're saying and doing by the word of God. Now, there's an important, mind to keep, important point to keep in mind about builders. It's not that there are only a select few builders, the super spiritual ones, and everyone else is just being built up. Builders need to be built up themselves. God doesn't excuse any one of us from being disciples. And those that are being built up will in turn build. In fact, 
there will be many seasons when you will be building and being built up at the same time. All of us are called and commissioned by the Lord to go into all the world and make disciples of Christ, to build others up. And all of us are called to submit and to be accountable, to receive counsel, and to have others speak into our lives so that we may grow and mature as disciples of Christ. We're both building and being built up simultaneously. And we've got to think through that way or you know, think as the mind of Christ would have us think on that. So accepting the Lord's commission to build means that we must gain the expertise from him alone because as we go about building, either intentionally or unintentionally, we can also tear down. And the point on that is that you know, we can accomplish some end goal. We may get to some result, but at what cost? How many churches exist today after many years of ministry and so on, and there may be a, a good result now, but they've hurt people along the way. And so we have to be careful about building, but not tearing down. In all our interactions with one another, we must be building up, not tearing down. And when we're going to come to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 26, it says very explicitly, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. The emphasis is not on the tools, but on using the tools we have to build up. And as we noted when studying Ephesians and other scriptures, it is easy with our words to tear down. But as Ephesians 4.29 states, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. In uh, 1967, it was a good year, in 1967, Charles Franklin Benweger, he summed up this analogy of building and not tearing down in a poem. And he said this, As I watched them tear a building down, a gang of men in a busy town, with a heave-ho and a lusty yell, they swung a beam and the side wall fell. I asked the foreman, Are these men skilled? And the men you would hire if you had wanted to build? He gave a laugh and said, No, indeed. Just common labor is all I need. I can easily wreck in a day or two what builders have taken years to do. And I thought to myself as I went my way, which of these roles have I tried to play? Am I a builder who works with care, measuring life by rule and square? Am I shaping my work to a well-made plan, patiently doing the best I can? Or am I a wrecker who walks to town, content with the labor of tearing down? O oh Lord, let my life and my labors be that which will build for eternity. Third truth, you must have the right materials. You must have the right foundation, you must have the right builders, but you also must have the right materials. When Paul writes that you must build on the foundation of Christ, 
with gold, silver, and precious stones, rather than wood, hay, or straw, he's not talking about the monetary value or worldly worth of what we build. He's not saying gold and silver is more expensive, more valuable, wood and hay is not, you know, so you should have more value, you know, monetary value or so on. He's not speaking figuratively that what we say and do has to be shiny and attractive and impressive. And he's certainly not being literal. We don't need to have gold, silver, or precious stones embedded in our walls. We don't have to build the most impressive physical structure. The description that is made here and the way that this reference is, the descriptions of the workmanship that is put into this, this building, either surviving or being burnt up in the fire while the workers themselves survive. There's not a point about the salvation of the builder or the salvation of the worker. It's rather about the quality of what is being built. The fire is revealing whether what is being built is of good quality or not. I'll say a little bit more about this during our sermon discussion on Wednesday. There are some other thoughts that people have about these verses and things like that. But clearly, as you read through the context and as you read through other supporting scriptures, he's not talking about salvation. Some will be saved and some will be not and you know things of that nature. He's saying the work that you do, it'll be tried by fire. And when that happens... The question is, will it survive? So Paul is warning us that what we're building must be able to withstand those tests and trials by fire. When the fire comes, and the fire will come, will what you have built remain? When the ultimate fire of the judgment of the Lord comes at the end of time, will what you have built remain? That's the question he's raising. That's the point he's making. So what is it that we're building? What is it that these precious stones, this gold and these silver represent? One, we're building up ourselves. Jude 1, 20 through 21 says this, But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. So one of the responsibilities we have is on building ourselves up. It's not just for somebody else to build you up, right? The previous point was we look for the builders. But it's not just the responsibility of the builders to build you up. You have a self-responsibility to say, how do I press into the Lord? How do I spend time in the Word? How do I pray? How do I have that relationship with the Lord so that I may build myself up? I may learn how to be a builder according to the plan of God and then build myself up. Right? Number two, so we're building ourselves up. Number two, we're building up a group of people, a local body of Christ, a church. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He's not speaking about that in terms of those that would be in the world, those that are not in the church. They have no context for you to build them up. 
If you went in fact to them and said, hey, let me tell you how you can build up your life and how you can do this and how God can be in, you know, a true for you and how this area in your life can be dealt with and so on. It's not relevant for them. They first have to know what is the foundation. They first have to meet Christ and Him crucified. They first have to understand the gospel message. Then you have an opportunity to help them to be built up, to, to speak into their lives. But this admonition, this directive is given for us in the church. Encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And again, we'll get into more of this next week when we talk about the purpose, right? We must build with purpose. And what is the purpose of God to build a temple, right? To build a church. So we'll get to that. But this week, what I want to emphasize is that the only investment worth making, the only way in which we can truly say, I put my hands to this work to build up, is when we are doing or building or using those things that are precious in the sight of the Lord. The only spiritual gold, silver, and precious stones that we are to build the temple of the Lord with, what the Lord cares about is the living stones, the people of the world. In Zechariah chapter 9, verse 16, in referring to the children of Israel that the Lord will deliver, God says that they are like the jewels of a crown. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, in speaking of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name, the Lord refers to them as his treasured possession. We're investing in people because they are precious to God. We are investing in building up others because that's what God cares about. He sees them as jewels, as precious, as as much more valuable than all the riches of the world. And so when he says, we want to build with gold and silver and precious stones, not wood and hay, he's saying, don't be building up big programs and institutions and all these kinds of things to which we can point. Build up people to whom we can point. If people say, what has your church done? We don't want to say, oh, we've done this, we've done that. We want to say, here is one person. Here are two people. Here are five people. Here are ten people. Here are a thousand people that were built up in the Lord through this church. Praise the Lord for that. You know, that idea of knowing what is precious to God, that's why we sing in Sunday school, Jesus loves the little children. All the children of the world, red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Which means that when we look at all that the Lord is telling us to do, we respond and apply by being built up in Christ. We respond and apply the word of God that we have heard by committing to and yielding to the work of the Holy Spirit so that we are built up in Christ. In verse 10, Paul says that after laying a foundation in Christ and doing at least some of the building, someone else, meaning other builders, are now continuing the building. Paul didn't stay with them in Corinth for all his life, for the rest of his life. He did work there, he established the church, and then he moves on. And then someone else is building. Someone else is being used of the Lord. The church is coming together. And so the point that he's making is that the building work never stops. It never ends. 
We are building and we are involved in a church that is going to be built till the end of time. You know, in the past, when it wasn't as common that you would have the tools that you, not common, when you didn't have the tools that you do today, and people were building cathedrals and, you know, big, big edifices of whatever kind, it took them centuries sometimes to finish that. It was not something that you would start on and say, oh, okay, next month it'll be done, right? Next year, we're good. It would have taken centuries sometimes. It would have been past a generations. So you may have started work on something and you would never even have seen the end of it. Your children may not have seen the end of it. That was the expectation. It's a similar kind of thought in terms of how we build a church. We're not building the church so that we can get instant results. We're not saying, okay, next week, you know, we'll see this. We're saying, oh God, we want to invest. We want to build. We want to be deliberate. We want to do these things in such a way that generations from now, there will be an impact. There will be a building up. There will be the building of the church in Christ. So we are building others up and being built up ourselves for all our lives. We don't end. We don't stop. Doesn't matter how old you are. Doesn't matter how young you are. We're going to do it all our lives. We're going to keep building up. And as we saw last week, we are continuously reliant on the Holy Spirit to take each new step and complete each action of this building process every single day. It's not that we're building for 10 years and then we say, oh, we got it. You know, I, I know what to do. We still have to be reliant on and completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. We don't become expert enough, wise enough to not rely on the Holy Spirit. We keep relying on the Holy Spirit every single day and saying, oh God, you help me. Help me, help me, help me. Give me wisdom. Show me the path that I must take. Give me the strength that I need. Give me the revelation, the inspiration so that I can do this right. But in addition to building and being built up all our lives, in addition to making that point, Paul uses an interesting phrase in verse 10. He says, of those that are building, each one should build with care. Or as the ESV states it, let each one take care how he builds on it or how he builds on the foundation of Christ. Spiritual building is an awesome responsibility. We can't take it lightly. We cannot just say, ah, yeah, and I'll do whatever. We must take heed to our doctrine and to our practice. What is it that we're believing? What is it that we're standing for? How is it that we're putting that into practice? What is it that manifests? If someone looks at us, if someone would consider us, if someone would study our church, would they see this consistency of doctrine and practice? That we are being careful, deliberate. We cannot do it for our glory. We're not building something so that we can be glorying in it. We're building for the glory of God. And we are being intentional and committed. We're not just doing something casually. Church is not just like your job. As diligent as you may be in that. Church is not like another leisure activity. As committed as you may be to that. Building the church is what we're giving ourselves to. In obedience to God's command. We're saying I want to build up this church. Maybe you can't do anything physically. 
but you will pray and you will say, Lord, build up this church. Maybe you can do something physically and you will commit and give all that you can. Maybe you can't do something physically, but you can do something materially in some other way. You pray and you say, Lord God, let me do that. But you are building the church with care, with intentionality. And you're saying, I want to see this built up in the Lord according to his command. We're expending with great care our time, our talent, and our treasure that the Lord has made us a steward of. It's not ours. It belongs to the Lord. He's given it into our hands as a steward, and we're expending that with great care. We're not burying it in the sand. We're not doing anything else with it. We're not wasting it. We are expending it with great care. The Lord himself is continuing to build his church with great care. He purposed even before the creation of time that we would be joined with him in this way. He detailed the plan of salvation. Jesus came to the earth at the right time. He fulfilled every detail of what was prophesied about him. He provided the Holy Spirit so that we're not lacking in anything. And he continues to love and to care for us. He continues to advocate for us. He continues to intercede for us. And he continues to bring us to himself and make us one in him so that we will be with him for all eternity. Jesus is building his church with great care, with very deliberate action, with very manifest love. It's not casual. It's not a afterthought. It's not, oh yeah, by the way, the church. It is what's on the mind of Christ. And so, there is that deliberate, intentional, and careful building of Almighty God that we seek to emulate in our own lives as we build and we build others up. As we build and we build ourselves up. As we give ourselves to building with care. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that your word, Lord, reminds us that we are builders. And I thank you, Lord, that this analogy, this metaphor is so relevant for us. We see the impact of buildings that have gone up to fulfill some purpose but was not built on a solid foundation. We know, Lord, how even if there is a solid foundation, if there isn't a good plan, if there isn't the right architecture, Lord, the building doesn't function correctly. And there are problems and difficulties and issues and so much more expense to try to fix an error after the fact. Lord God, we thank you that you give us wisdom. Lord, we make mistakes and you help us to correct them. Lord, we thank you that you paid the debt of our sins so that we are not in this cost overrun and in this, Lord, budget overrun and everything else, Lord. We know that we have been given the resources that we need. You've given us everything we need. So, Lord, now let us commit. Let us commit to build a church. Let us commit to build the body of Christ. Let us commit to build this church. Let us say, Lord God, you have called me into this church. You've asked me to be a part of this group of people. Let me do what I can 
to build up this group of people. Let me build myself up so that I can be a wonderfully functioning, beautifully positioned living stone in this church. And let me receive. Let me first discern, but then let me receive the building up that I'm getting. And let me apply it. Let me do it. Lord, let me help for the building up to be done in such a way that we have a strong, healthy, vibrant church. Not measured in terms of the number of people, but in terms of the maturity of the people. That, Lord, we would be disciples of Christ, pressing into you, knowing you. Oh, Lord God, following hard after you, building up, and building with care. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen.